Um, I want you to think of a time. So I'm, I'm going to call for audience participation, which means you need to prepare yourself. I always have to let you know beforehand. That way, when I ask the question, you're not like, like do I say something? Do I not? No, we're, you're going to have something to say. So, uh, so I want you to think of a time when you decided to do something that would make an impact. You decided to do something that would make an impact. And if you're like, okay, I need to write a little bit. There are pieces of paper near you. You can write something down. Uh, I want to encourage you to go ahead and write down a time that you decided to do something that would make an impact. I'm going to ask for that in just a second. Now, what could I possibly mean by impact? Well, it could be something really, really simple. So uh, my wife impacted my life significantly when she got me this kind of tool bucket organizer right here. So before, before she did this for me, and this was a real blessing, it was a very, very much a treat from her. Before she did this, all of my tools were in a bag and just like just in the bag. They were unorganized. I could not keep track of them. It was hard. My life was like much harder. And my, li- my wife, she's like so skilled and gifted at just bringing organization into spaces that she walks into. And so she like, she, she says, okay, I can bless my husband by bringing some organization. And this has been like, this has been life-changing for me that she has stepped in. It has really made an impact for me. You have no idea how significant this is. So, so she, she saw a need and she decided to step in and fill it. So so this is what I want. I want ideas from you for times that you... Now, you may be like, hey, I don't want to talk about myself, though. I, I want you to set that aside, okay? I want you to share with me a time that you decided to make an impact. And I want to give you the, the freedom to be honest about that. Now, if you're at home and you're like, hey, I want to participate too, I've put my phone number underneath the video so you can text me and let me know, hey, this is how I made an impact. And I want to hear some of us share the times that we decided to make an impact. So I need, I need somebody to go first. Who's, who's got my first impact among us? Beth. Okay. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. So I'm going to share that for the people online so that they hear it. So, so Beth, when she got the diagnosis of cancer, she made the decision that she was going to be a blessing. She made the decision that she was going to change her attitude and that through the decision to change her attitude, she knew that it would impact the people that she came across, especially in the medical realm and, and the places where she was going to her appointments and that kind of stuff. It made an impact. It was a real blessing to them. Okay, that's good. Thank you, Beth. Anybody else? Another one. Okay, so I got one from from Phil and Doreen. The decision to adopt a daughter from Calcutta. I mean, how significant was that? They said there is a need that we could fill, and we're going to step in and make an impact for a child and change, like make a massive difference in their life forever. How cool is that? It's great. Anybody else? Time that you decided to make an impact. 
peg. Okay. Okay. Okay, so, so by choosing, so Peg chose to step in and be uh, at your work as a part of the school district. You decided to step in and become a part of the secretarial union because what that did is that connected the people that you were working with to more resources to be able to help them in their job and that kind of stuff. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. And if you have other ideas, I'd love to, to hear them. You can still text them to me, uh, share them later. I'd love to hear them. I want to talk about why we decide to make an impact. Like why we do things to decide to make an impact. Like, uh, think, so think really easy. Like when somebody is grieving, somebody's lost somebody, what is like the first thing? Like what is one of the things that we do for people who is grieving? As a church, like somebody who's grieving. Like we think, oh gosh, like I can't bring that loss back. I can't fix that loss. I can't, I don't really know that I can do a lot, but what is one thing that we do all the time? We fix the meals. We like organize meals to be able, because what do we say? We say, well, I can't do a lot, but you know what I can do? I can do something, even if it's very small, I can do something to make an impact. I can buy a meal or I can cook a meal for this family. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I want to suggest to you that the reason we do this is a bit of an equation, okay? The equation is this, love plus need drives action. Love plus need drives action. And, and when you like walk into this equation, what happens when you start encountering the realities of love and need? Love and need confront us with a question. And that question is this. What do you got? What do you got? What do you have to bring to the table? When you, when you love somebody and you encounter a need that they have, then I'm forced to ask myself the question, hey, what do I got to bring to the table? So, uh, so this equation, we're going to take it with us as we go through our passage this morning. And, and we actually, we're going to watch this equation play itself out in God's people. So, uh, so Exodus 18, that's where we are today. In chap Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. And we've been working ourselves through the book of Exodus. What has happened with the people of Israel? God has brought them out of Egypt. And what is he doing? He's, slaving, he's, he's taking them from being a slave people, and he's trying to shape them into the kind of people that will become a nation, that will actually be a blessing when they get to the place that they're going. And the problem, though, that they're confronted with and that we kind of keep coming up against is that uh, they're so used to being slaves. Like, they're so used to being slave people, and it's really hard to get them to change quickly. Like, and there are a lot of things coming up in their future that they're going to have to be able to change quickly for. They have to adapt to change really, really fast. So, like, y'all who are married, when you got married, like, you knew that first, like, the first year or two years or even five years, you had to learn how to adapt to change quickly, right? You had to figure out how to get used to sharing a life with this other person. So how much more challenging does it become when you're not just dealing with two people, but you're dealing with like two and a half million people and they all do not want to change. Like there's nothing about them that is excited about changing the way that they operate in the world. It's like, it's like you take a piece of paper and you know, like if I just have this piece of paper, this piece of paper by itself is very malleable. 
You know, it's very flexible. I can bend it in half. You know, I can bend it in half another time. It's, it's very easy to work with. Now, imagine I had 10 pieces of paper, and I have to fold them up, and it, it, it's easy to work with that. Imagine I had a ream of paper, though. How I could not bend that ream of paper. It would be very challenging. You get all of that together in one space. So the question that we're, we're walking forward with this morning as we go into this text is how can this people hope to become a people who will develop the collective flexibility and adaptability to actually like go from being a slave people to becoming a legitimate nation? So Exodus 18.1 says this, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done. All that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So, so we met Jethro all the way back in Exodus uh, chapter 4, I think it was. We met Jethro all the way back then. And Jethro is a pagan priest. He's a priest of Midian. What does this mean? It means that he actually facilitates the worship of other gods, ancient Near Eastern gods. Like this is his job. And, and so who else is Jethro? Well, we know, we know that Jethro loves his family. Uh, when we first encountered Jethro, we, we encountered Jethro with his daughters, right? And he, we could tell that he really cares for his daughters, that we know that he thinks very highly of Moses. So we saw Moses, you know, sh- uh, you know come in and save his daughters in this really tight situation, right? And so, so Moses shows up, and Jethro's like, girls, what are you doing? Somebody's got to marry this guy, right? Like, that's what he tells his daughters, right? So he thinks very highly of Moses. He watched Moses kind of get this calling from some god and have to go back to Egypt and that kind of stuff. And on top of that, like we know from right here that he's been listening. He's been very attentive to what has been going on with Moses, what has been going on with the people of Israel. And so, so he hears about Yahweh. He hears about the Lord, the I Am. But at this point, like Yahweh is just one God among a slew of gods that he is aware of. And so, so, like, I imagine him hearing about these things that are happening and have happened in Egypt, and he says, you know what, Israel's God, Israel's God is a pretty cool God. Like, I, ima- I imagine Jethro even, even maybe, like, creating a shrine for Yahweh in his temple as one God amongst the slew of gods that exist, right? So, so that's Jethro, and, and uh, you know, Moses' family, uh, Moses' wife and, and his sons have been living with Jethro, and, and now they're all going to come out into the wilderness to meet with Moses. So Moses is bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. They all come down, and they come to this place called the Mountain of God. This is the place where Moses encountered God in the burning bush, right? This is the place where ultimately we're going to see God deliver the law to his people. That's where they are right now. And Moses comes out and meets his family, and he spends the evening with his father-in-law. So we're going to move forward to verse 8, Exodus 18.8. This is what it says. It says, Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. What is Moses doing right now? Like as he comes to his father-in-law, as he stalk, talks to him, what, he's like sharing good news with his dad. Like he's sharing the gospel with his dad. Like, and when we talk about gospel in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a broad definition that we can use for gospel. Gospel is simply the story of the amazing things that God has done. The story of the amazing things that God has done. So, so no one's perspective 
on the amazing things that God has done is more clear than Jethro's. Je- or sorry, than more clear than Moses's. Moses has the clearest perspective on the amazing things that God has done. And so they had this chat. And, and like Jethro is sharing, hey, I heard that this happened, and I, hey, heard, or I heard you came through the Red Sea. And Moses kind of tells him, hey, like, you haven't heard the half of it. Like, let me tell you, like, I went to the elders and I threw my staff down on the ground and God like turned it into a a snake and he performed all these miracles for the elders. And then I went to Pharaoh and he did the same sorts of things. And then, and then God, like he shamed the Egyptian magicians, right? Like he put them to shame. Like they were running, uh, you know, with their tails between their legs after about the fourth plague, right? They couldn't confront me anymore. And then, you know what? Uh, Moses, then he recounted every single plague. To Jethro, he told them every plague, the darkness, uh, how, how the sun like kind of disappeared from the sky for that period of time. He told them about the way the Nile turned to blood, all of these details about the plagues. He told Jethro about the Passover, how uh, the only way that Israel could be saved, that Israel's people could be saved, is that they, they kill the lamb and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. He told them about how As they were leaving Egypt, the Lord shows up in a pillar of cloud and fire. And hey, you can look at him. He's right over there. Like you can see him. He's visible. He's tangible, right? Then uh, the Red Sea. We walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Not just like water on each side, but, but God took the moisture out of the soil so that we could walk through, no problem, not sink. And then like we had this battle with this country named Amalek and they came against us and we had never fought in a battle before, but somehow by keeping our eyes on God's power, we were able to overcome in that battle. We were able to defeat them. Like all of these amazing things happen. Like God has worked miracles for us. This is what Moses says to Jethro. And, and so in verse 9, it says, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So, so there's something compelling about listening to a story of hopelessness that gets changed to hope. So like, even people who are resistant to Christianity, resistant to Christ, when somebody shares a story of life transformation, like they can't help but go, whoa, that's pretty amazing. I have a, a friend of mine uh, from Wheaton, Illinois. His name is Lewis. I get together with him, a group of church leaders, every uh, three months or so for, for different ministry training and that kind of stuff. So, so Lewis, uh, he was charged way back when. He was charged for... Uh, attempted murder. No, he was charged for murder. He murdered somebody and he uh, had armed robbery. Those were the two things kind of on his record. He had been sentenced to 100 years in prison. And, uh, and so he walks into prison the first day and somebody comes up behind him. He hands him like some uh, basically just different prison clothes, like stuff to help resource him a little bit. And, and Lewis thinks that this guy is trying to kind of make a pass at him, trying to uh, hold him to something, trying to make him commit to something, like these kinds of things. Because, because in his world, Lewis, like, nobody just gives you something. Like, you, you have to, there's always a catch. There's always something that, that somebody's trying to hook you into. And so Lewis made up his mind in that moment when that person gave him uh, underwear and different things, like, just to take care of him. He decided that he was going to kill that guy that night. And so 
he goes to the guy's cell that evening. He's prepared, and he walks in, and there's a group of guys sitting around, and they're having a Bible study together. And, uh, and, and in that Bible study, uh, they, they share with him a gospel tract and say, hey, man, like, we would really love it if you would know Jesus. Lewis completely changed his life around. He's a ministry leader now up in this area. It's significant, right? You can't hear that story. And, and you might be resistant to Christ, but you've got to go, my goodness, that's amazing. Like what the amazing things that God has done, right? And this is, this is the situation with Jethro. Jethro hears about these amazing things that God has done. And, and, and then there's something additional that's compelling for this uh, beyond just the story. There's something additional compelling for this to Jethro. So, so he hears about a God who, who does things for his people without people having to do anything first. Right, like that's not how the gods of the ancient Near East work. You have to perform for them before they do something to you. You have to give something to get something, right? And on top of that, he he hears about the specific plagues of Egypt. And he's not unaware of the Egyptian religious system. He hears how every single plague actually kind of puts a god on blast or a series of gods and says, hey, look at your god and look how much more powerful Yahweh is. Like he knows this stuff. He, he hears about the quick succession of mighty deeds that have happened on behalf of Israel, which most gods, by the way, they like win some and lose some. Nobody has a perfect record. No god in the ancient Near East has a perfect record. And he hears about God's care for this people, despite their complaining against them. Like how ludicrous is that? What kind of God would actually still care for his people while they're out there whining against him that they don't have enough? And so, uh, verse 10, it says this. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. So, so up to this point, Moses, he has written this story down for us. The way Moses has told the story to us up to this point is as if it's a contest between Pharaoh and Yahweh. Now, as we walk through the plagues, we, we made it very clear, this is not just a contest between Pharaoh and Yahweh. This is a contest between Yahweh and Egypt's gods, right? But we don't actually see that written down in the story until this point. Like, we see Jethro. Now, Jethro, he has this theological training. He has this awareness of how the gods of ancient Egypt, or in the ancient Near East, work. And, and, and so, he looks at this and he says something significant. He says, Yahweh who delivered you. He's not just one God among many gods, but he is greater than all the gods. Like his mind is trained to see a level higher. This is not just a contest, Moses, between uh, you and Pharaoh's people. This is not just a contest even between Yahweh and Pharaoh. This is a contest in the spiritual realm between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. And you know what those gods do? Those gods abuse people because the Egyptians abuse people, right? Those gods will use people up for all that they're worth. And Egypt is just an example of how their gods function. And, and, and so they, they get arrogant towards the people. 
They deal arrogantly with the people because they're all about making themselves look good and, and making people not caring for people, this, these sorts of things. But, but when Jethro comes and, and looks at Yahweh and he sees Yahweh's care for his people, he sees gods who are trying to prove their power and, and gods who pursued uh, Israel in anger, but then every step of the way, Yahweh meticulously put those gods to shame. He says, what are we watching now? Like, wh- what did we see? What did we encounter? We watched God set himself up above all the other gods. And so, so Moses, he proclaims the gospel to Jethro in this place. And Jethro, this pagan priest, whose job it is to facilitate worship of the other gods. He understands a piece that has been missing from his framework his entire life. And he goes, wait a minute, and converts to faith in Yahweh. Yahweh is the one God above all the other gods. That's what we see happen right here. So verse 12, it goes on and says this. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all of the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Two significant things happen here. So first of all, the burnt offering and sacrifices, what has happened is now that Jethro has converted, he has learned to love Yahweh. He has learned to love Yahweh. He's setting aside things that he owns to honor Yahweh, to bless the name of Yahweh. So that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that he eats bread with the elders of Israel before God. The the text is going out of its way to tell us Jethro is not just honoring Yahweh, he's honoring Yahweh's people. He's going out of his way to love Yahweh's people. So Jethro hears this gospel story, and it's like a light turns on for him. And when Jethro sees God for who he is, a a truth that he did not previously understand about God gets revealed to him, and it actually starts to rewire the way that his heart works so that he loves Yahweh, so that he loves Yahweh's people. So remember back to the equation that we started with, love plus need drives action. So so when Jethro sees God for who he is, he acknowledges God's place above every other thing. And then he sees that the value that that God has placed on this specific people, and he says, okay, if he's going to value those people, I'm going to value those people too. And and that love that develops, it, it, it develops inside of Jethro, and it forces him, it confronts him with the question, hey, Jethro, what do you got? What do you got? Jethro, what do you got to bring? What do you, what do you got to offer? What do you got to acknowledge before God? What, do you, what words do you have to share? Uh, what offering are you going to put before me? How are you going to make sacrifices? Jethro, what do you got to express this love, this, these things that you now know to be true about God? Jethro, what do you got? Because what Jethro does next, you know, it becomes kind of the focus and the emphasis of this text for a lot of Bible teachers. The next thing that he does, but what happens next does not first happen without him becoming converted, without him learning to love Yahweh and love Yahweh's people from a, from a pagan priest to a worshiper of Yahweh. So, Jethro, what do you got? Exodus eighteen thirteen. The next day, Moses set to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. So I imagine this like, you know, back at the beginning of the coronavirus when y'all went to Costco and uh, you drove up 
and there was a line all the way out through the parking lot, and you said, I'm not going to go do that. I'll go do something else. I'm not going to go stand in that line right now. That's kind of what's happening right now. You're, you, you see the people around, and you know the moment you step in line, you may, you may not get to talk to Moses for days. Now, what are these people going to Moses for? Why are they going? Uh, verse 14, we'll go on. It says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. So, so what's happening is, is Moses is here, and what he's doing is he is uh, kind of judging issues that are coming up between Israelites. What, uh, the Israelites don't have a lot of guidance right now. They don't have a lot of law right now. And, and so all of these people, like they're having kind of debates between themselves and different contentions, and they're all coming up to Moses, and they're saying, hey, Moses, solve our problem for us. And two and a half million people, like Moses is the only person who can solve all of these problems. Right? And so, so, so Jethro, he sees this, and, and he's kind of watching this nation, right? This is the nation that he has come to love. His, his heart is being shaped to love the people that God loves. And, and so, so he, he notices the overwhelming nature of what Moses is doing. And what he sees confounds him. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he do it this way? And the question why, like whenever you ask the question why, whenever anybody asks the question why, the reason they ask the question is they go, like, you know, it shouldn't have to be the way that it's happening right now. Like, that's why people ask the question why. And so Moses, he explains, he's kind of, you know, deciding on this case-by-case basis. He tells Jethro this is what's happening. And Jethro's still not convinced that this is the right or the best way. And, And so remember our equation, right? Love plus need drives action. And remember the question that love has created inside of Jethro, right? What do you got? So, so now he's going to start to see a significant need. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You see... Jethro's concern, like, and it's even interesting that he would be concerned enough to say something about this. He cares enough about uh, his son-in-law and his family. He cares enough about Yahweh and Yahweh making his name great in the place that this nation is going to. He cares uh, for the people, this people that he's learned to love, and all of this concern rises up. And so, so the question that has actually arisen inside of Jethro leads him to ask Moses a question. He says, hey, hey Moses, what do you and your people not have right now? You don't have flexibility. You don't have uh, kind of the national organizational structure that is going to be required for you to exist as a nation when you get into the land. But somehow there needs to be some sort of systems in place. There needs to be something that can help this nation thrive and actually be a blessing to the people that, that they're going to. And so Jethro's question, it's, Jethro, what do you got? And, well, Jethro, he's been a priest for a long time. He's observed national structures for a long time. He's kind of watched how this stuff works. While while Israel is a slave people coming out of Egypt, Jethro kind of has all of this organizational knowledge that would be really helpful for this nation at this point. And so he brings those skills to Moses. He says, okay, I've got something that can be used here. And he says, hey, Moses, you need to restructure. Kind of need to build some systems and and that kind of stuff here. So so we're going to start with your job. So he comes to Moses, and in verse 19 and 20, he says, let's start with what you have, Moses. 
Like, what do you got? Because you can't do everything. You can't be everything to everybody. You cannot possibly hope to judge two and a half million people for the entirety of your lifetime, right? Okay, so what do you do? Verse 19, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about statutes and laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So, so it's really interesting, like the same question that was created inside of Jethro, he now asks to Moses and he says, well, what do you got, Moses? You, you're able to talk to God, like you hear the voice of God. You actually converse with him on a consistent basis. You have direct access, right? That's significant. So, so what do these people need? Well, they need some laws and some statutes and some structure that is going to help them be able to make the decisions that they need to make. So you know what? You can do that, Moses. That's the thing you can do. You can't hopefully, like, you have no hope of being able to manage two and a half million disputes. If you go for that, the people are going to get tired of you very fast, and you're going to get tired of the people very fast. It won't be good for the nation. But you know what you can do? You can listen to God. You can write down His words. Right? These are the things that you are able to do, and you can equip the people with these statutes to be able to make decisions amongst themselves. So verse 21. It says, look, moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So, uh, so you know, what about your people, Moses? What do they got? Like, what do they have to bring to the table? Some of them actually love Yahweh too. Some of them love Yahweh's people. So some of them love this nation that they're a part of, and they, may, they might actually be driven to action if you help them see what they have to offer. So, so take a note of the job description for leadership here in Israel. What are the requirements? You need to fear God. You need to be trustworthy. You need to hate a bribe. They need to have integrity, basically. They need two things. They need integrity and the fear of the Lord, walking with them as they lead. And, and so notice what he doesn't say. He says, hey, they need charisma. They need skill. No, he says they need character. That's the most important thing. And so the importance, this is the importance of Jethro's conversion because he could have come in and said, hey, Moses, you just need to get people who can do their job in there. But now that he's converted, he says, no, you need people who have integrity. You need people who want to honor the Lord. Those are the kind of people that lead my people. So, uh, so we see the same sorts of things when even Paul, like he writes to Timothy and he establishes like roles of elders and deacons. Like what's important is character, fear of the Lord, integrity of life. These are the things that God values. And so, so uh, it's important to note that skill and gifting does play a role because you do have leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, but um, that's variance in gifts. That's variance in ability. But the, the consistent thing is the character. That's across the board the most important thing is the kind of character that they have. So, so Jethro kind of set this pattern for asking himself the question, what do you got, and use it. And then he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, what do you got? Well, why don't you use that? And then what you're going to do is you're going to help the people figure out what they have and you're going to help them figure out how to use it. And the significance of this event is actually what happens. Jethro kind of sets the stage for Israel to receive the law because that's like the next thing that's going to happen. The, the, the Israelites are going to be at the mountain of God and Moses is going to go up there and there's going to be this weird interaction between God and the people, but Moses is going to go up and he's going to receive the law for the people. 
So, so Jethro is driven to action by his love for God and his love for people. He recognizes their need, right? And then he comes in and he creates this opportunity for, for people within the nation to start recognizing need and stepping up and being a blessing. And this is how this nation is actually going to develop the flexibility to become the kind of people that when they go into the land, they're going to be a blessing. So the chapter ends in verse 27, and it says, Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. You know, I think this is really interesting, because the implication is, like, he went back to life the way that it was before. But, like, I imagine him. Did he, like, take the, the other gods out of the temple that he was worshiping? Did he make it a temple to Yahweh, maybe? A place where people could come and worship the one true God. I like to think about these possibilities. We're given no clue, but we know that Jethro, after his conversion, he goes back to his, his own country, his own land, and he goes having known and met and seen the leader of God's people and met God himself. Okay, so what? So what? What do we do with all of this that we're talking about? My first question is, who do you love? Who do you love? So we watched Jethro discover Yahweh for who he is and actually come to love Yahweh and his people. Moses told him the good news of the amazing things that God had done, and Jethro was like, okay, I'm all in. And, you know, the good news of the amazing things that God has done, it's shown to us most clearly in the person of Jesus. Jesus pursued broken sinners like you and me. Jesus came to earth and he did miracles and he uh, taught the things of God and he healed people. He brought God's goodness and, and then he went to a cross and he allowed himself to be sacrificed for sin. And then he actually like rose from the dead, proving his strength over death, right? Like all of the, think of the amazing things that God has done and they're represented to us in Jesus. And so for those who trust Jesus, he says, you know what? Sin no longer has to define you because you know what? I died for that sin. You are no longer an enemy of God because, because God took out all his wrath on his enemies on me so that you could be forgiven, right? So you don't have to face God's wrath for that. The dark spiritual forces, they no longer have power for you. I broke the power of them over you when I died on the cross. And now you are chosen and you are righteous. You are a treasured person of God. You are very loved by him, right? These are the things that are true about us because of what Jesus did. This is what Jesus was able to accomplish for us. God has done amazing things for us in Jesus. And so Jesus, he came and he lived and he died and he was raised and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that these things might become true of us, anybody who places their trust in Jesus. And so if you want those things to be true of you today, you're watching on, online or you're here in person, you know what the Bible says to make those things true about you? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God changes your identity radically. He teaches you how to love him more than anything else. So that's number one. Who do you love? Learn to love God. Number two, what do you got? Use it. What do you got? Use it. So, uh, so people have asked me before, hey, uh, you know, you become a pastor. Why did you become a pastor? Like, what is this deal with calling? What did that look like for you? And so, so I answer the question in different ways sometimes, but I want to I kind of encapsulate the simplest way that I, I can tell you why um, I became a pastor. 
It's because up until a certain point, I was a Christian who did not love Christ. I was a Christian who did not love Christ. I loved many things more than I loved Jesus. And so, so I got to a certain point where the Holy Spirit actually convicted me of that lack of love in my heart, that apathy in my heart. I become aware of His grace, that He would pursue me into my lack of love and still extend grace towards me. I started to understand that, and it started to change me. The Holy Spirit started teaching my, my heart how to love Jesus. And so that's, that's the love part. But then I said, if I, like if I was, now I was involved in ministry, I was doing a bunch of different things. If I was a Christian who did not love Christ, how, like could there be other Christians who did not love Christ? And so, so I saw a need. Uh, could there be other people in general who did not love Christ? Like I saw a need that, that there's just like people need to love Jesus, right? And so, so I saw the, the, how transforming and life-giving and joy-creating it was for me to love Jesus. And you know what I want? Like, I want other people to love Jesus because I saw how significant that was. And so I asked the question, like, there's, there's the need, there's the love. Like, what if, I, what if I can just, like, help people love Jesus more deeply? Like, that's, that's how, like, at the end of the day, that's, like, what my calling, like, when I experienced the Lord saying, okay, this is what you need to do, it was the love and the need like, let's help people love Jesus more deeply. And so what do you got? Like, that's, that's the, the concept that we keep coming back to. Like, this describes that discovery process, but not, you know, not everyone's going to be called to be a pastor, right? And being a pastor, honestly, is not like even the most impactful thing that can be done. But, but do some self-evaluation on this. I want you to ask yourself three questions. Who do you love? What is the need? And what do you got? Use it. What do you got? Do you have a house? Do you have kids? Do you have friends? Do you have a car? Do you have communication skills? Do you have organizational skills? Do you have time? Are you handy with stuff? Like God, God's not asking you to do anything that you don't have. He's asking you what you have right now and how you can best what use what you have to bless Him. So like Laura, like I called Laura up this week. Said, and I was aware that it might make her a little uncomfortable. I said, Laura, what do you got? And she, like, she willingly confessed, hey, it's outside of my comfort zone, but I can record a video. And so she shared with us how much of a blessing was it for us to see Laura's face up in there in front, especially like with this whole uh, COVID stuff. And we've, not, we've been praying for her, but we've not been able to see her face. How cool is that? Zeke, I think Zeke's sitting back there and, and doing the, the live stream stuff and stuff that I can't like even begin to comprehend. So Zeke was like, what do you got? Well, I was a multimedia producer for two years in my profession. Like, okay, well, I th- and I used to run live stream technology, right? Like Zeke doesn't exist in every church, but, but the Lord has blessed us with him. And so it's like, Zeke, what do you got? Well, here it is. Sue, what do you got? Like you've got, you have, uh, let me tell you, you have got mountains of God supplied energy with you. Like, the amount of stuff that you are able to get done is just miraculous in my mind. And, 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 and on top of that, you have a heart to see women love Jesus, right? So the Lord said to you, what do you got? And you said, here it is. Right? Phil and Doreen, what do you got? Years of teaching experience, years of, of loving kids and, and wanting to see them come to Jesus. And they just share it so freely. You know, I could keep going down a list of people who you... You just see a need and you say, what do I have? And you bring it to bear on this body. So uh, 
So if you're, if you're hearing me say this and you're saying, hey, I want to figure out what I've got. I want to figure out how I can bring it to bear here. Um, you know, Nick and I have been having conversations over the course of the last six to six to nine months, I guess. Nick Pofrell, he's one of our elders here. Um, and, and we've just been talking. Uh, and so, so if you're like, hey, I think I might have something and I wanted to bring it to bear, I, I want to encourage you, you can reach out to me and you can reach out to Nick. Now you're like, how do I reach out to me? If you're here physically this morning, just say, hey, I'd like to chat with you. If you're online, you have my number because it's down on the video for that thing I did earlier. So it's under the number and you can, you can uh, send me a text and say, hey, I'd like to, to just chat about this. Uh, so the final thing, and uh, this is more of like a, a very practical thing that we're walking into. Um, number three, a need that our church can meet. And this is a question mark underneath of it. So, so Alliance Bible Church, we love the community that we have been placed in. And uh, the people that we have had the honor of building relationships with. So I want to put something in front of all of you. And I want to ask you to begin praying about this kind of immediately. So, so our purpose statement is we are working together to restore hope to all people. I want to let you know that there's like a really significant way that hopelessness is being felt tangibly for families in our community right now. So, uh, and these are crossroads families, families that we have built relationships with over the years. So, uh, so U46, the school district announced that they were going to be uh, moving to the first six weeks was going to be full distance learning, full e-learning. And uh, just this is a devastating reality for a lot of families, especially families who have to try to figure out childcare during the year. They're like, what, like, what can we possibly do? And so, so it creates all of these questions for families. They're, str- uh, they're just um, moving and scrambling to come up with solutions. And so um, and this is going to be happening until mid-October. And uh, I've been praying about Lord, how can we meet a need? And so I'm going to say something, and then we don't have any guarantees. The Lord could close the door on this and shut it down quickly, but it's the, the timeline has to move so fast on this that if we're going to do it, we have to keep walking down the road until the Lord clearly shuts the door. So, uh, so what if we opened our building up three days a week and provided a space for kids to do their e-learning here under supervision. Like that's the, that's the concept that we're running with. And that, this gives us an opportunity to pray with kids, to eat lunch with kids, to have Jesus, like Jesus through us, become a regular part of our interaction with these kids, to do this during the school day, and, and then like just build relationships with them, create the space where they can be loved and that kind of stuff. And, and already um, I've started having some conversations with people. I've, I've just kind of floated the idea to some parents and parents are very highly interested. I've heard everybody I've talked to said, man, if you guys could do that, if you could actually do it, we, would, like, we wouldn't just become like a small addition to an hour time slot in families' weeks. We would become essential for those families. We would be providing a service. And so... Um, so I've, I've started having conversations. It seems that there's interest, but uh, I'll kind of... So there are a few things I have to let you know of, some very practical stuff, and then I'll um, come to the prayer things. So uh, along these lines, per our Constitution, I have to make an announcement to you right now. So something to put on your calendars. Sunday, August 16th, Sunday, August 16th, after our service, we're going to have a congregational meeting. And the item on the agenda is, uh, can we make a $6,000 addition to our annual budget 
for part-time temporary staffing to lead and organize and administrate this outreach ministry that we are thinking about doing. So, so uh, leadership of this ministry is going to be very involved. It'll include a lot of detail management, a lot of communication with parents, and we have a very short time frame. So if we were going to do this with all volunteer effort, like we would have started last spring kind of organizing this, but we have like three weeks uh, to, to make this happen. And so, uh, and so for that congregational meeting, we are working on a means to participate online, just so uh, you all who are online know about that. So that's the very practical thing I have to do. I have to kind of announce that in multiple places over the course of the next two weeks for our Constitution. But right now, right now I want to call you to pray. Uh, there may be a chance for you to step up somewhere and, you know, we'll address that in the coming weeks. But, but right now I want to call you to pray. So number one, I want to call you to pray for leadership insight into various roadblocks. So uh, I, we, I'm processing this with a number of different leaders and, and we are all aware of various things from, from COVID precautions to what do we call this thing from a legal standpoint to, uh, to how we just like manage the possibility of like 40 to 50 kids in our building at one time. Like all of these questions are coming up. They all create potential roadblocks, right? These are all things to be concerned about. All are creating questions. And so I want you to pray for leadership insight into these kinds of roadblocks. Because honestly, like, I could come to you next week and say, yeah, it got shut down. Like, the Lord closed the door, right? And I'm very aware of this possibility. But also, I could come to you next week, and it seems like we're moving full steam ahead, right? Like, these are the possibilities that we're dealing with right now. Uh, Number two, I want to call you to pray for volunteers to staff the center. So, uh, So I've already talked to some parents who said, if you did that, we would be there all the days. We would be there all the days to be able to help out with it because it's so significant for our kids to have social interaction and have people to invest in them and that kind of stuff. And so, so I want you to pray for volunteers who would be able to staff this, even from amongst our church. And, and number three, I want to call you to pray for God to make meaningful connection between our church and the families that we have relationship with. So I don't know um, that this is going to be the thing. That does it. You know, we'll see. We'll, we'll keep walking down the path, right? But no matter what, our goal with all of these families is to make a meaningful connection. That way we could share, ultimately, like we can invite them to Jesus, right? That's what we want. So those are the three things I want to call you to pray for. And that, that I just want to put that in front of you. And would Alliance Bible Church, over the course of the next week, would you just be praying? And if you sense the Lord even leading you to something in your heart and you're like, Reach out, ask a question, um, offer an insight. Uh, you know, I would love to hear what you have to say. I'd be happy to interact with you on that. So with that being said, I'm going to pray, and then we will close our service. Lord Jesus, as I look at what it is that you've given our church, you've given us a building. You've given us opportunity. You've given us relationships and And Lord, we're just trying to figure out how to steward all of these things that you've given us well. And Lord, we love these kids that we've been able to build relationship with. And we love this community. And we love each other. And we want to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
And Lord, I can quite frankly say that I don't know that this is the obvious right next step for us. But Lord, I know that we continue moving forward because that seems the most faithful thing to do until you tell us otherwise. Lord, I pray for, for people now who are just getting spurred on in their hearts to, to step up themselves, to find a different way to meet a need. And, and Lord, I ask that you would keep prompting those individuals. Lord, may it continue to be said of people here at Alliance Bible Church that there are people who love well and see needs and are driven to action to meet those needs. So Lord, we're grateful for a chance to worship you here this morning. And would you just continue instructing us, continue shaping us, and continue helping us live on Jesus' mission together. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.